welcome to Best Book Forward, the podcast where I talk to authors, publishers and book lovers alike about the books that have shaped their lives. Think of it as like Desert Island Discs, but the bookish version. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Sophie Irwin. Sophie's debut novel, A Lady's Guide to Fortune Hunting, was published in 2022, with Red Magazine quoted as saying it would fill that Bridgerton-shaped hole in your life. It was a warm and witty Regency romance that not only hit the Sunday Times bestseller list, it was also voted on Instagram as winner of Best Romance in the Best Book Forward Awards. Now I'll admit, the latter isn't quite so impressive, (laughs) but I was over the moon. (laughs) I was delighted with that. (laughs) I was over the moon to see it win. Uh, Sophie's new novel, A Lady's Guide to Scandal, which published in September, is the tale of a recently widowed countess who needs to avoid scandal in order to secure her fortune. But for one who has spent a lifetime following the rules, misbehaviour and dashing lords are much more tempting. (laughs) Sophie joins me today to talk about A Lady's Guide to Scandal, her love of the Romantic Regency era and the books that have shaped her life. Sophie, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this all week. I am a huge fan of your books. I just loved them both. I'm constantly telling people to pick them up. They're Mm. so joyful and so fun. And I'd love if you could start by telling everyone a little bit about your new novel. Yeah, of course. Um, So it's called A Lady's Guide to Scandal. um, And it's all about Eliza, who begins the novel um, unexpectedly widowed and suddenly very, very rich. Um, So so she's sort of in this brilliant position of being sort of the most powerful a woman, a most independent a woman can be at this time, which is amazing. She's thrilled. Um, but her fortune has come with a clause. So morality clause has been attached to the fortune she's just inherited from her uh, late husband, who, by the way, wasn't very nice. So we're not we're not upset. Least it. Um, obviously sad for him, but like, you know, it's a happy novel. <laughs> and um, I just have to be clear because I don't want to, it's not like a sad, she's not a sad about it. Um, she's not a sad widow. She's not a sad widow. She's quite, she's, you know, sassy and, and uh, you know, up for a fun time kind of widow. Um, and, but the, the fortunes come with a clause that she has to behave herself and do everything right and proper, um, which is not quite as interesting to her. But so she heads off to Bath. Um, ready to, with her best mate and cousin Margaret, ready to sort of um, live her life, find herself. She's like not that interested in men, but then of course two very attractive men come knocking. Um, one is a long lost, long lost love from her, from her, from her youth, um, and the other one is a um, uh, a poet with a past. <laughs> Both lords, because why not? Um, and so, so, so we've got love triangle suddenly. So she's she's got a lot to do as Eliza. She's got to choose between these two men. She's got to keep her fortune. She's got to find herself in Bath. Um, yeah, and I think it's a lot of fun. I haven't quite nailed the pitch yet. I get quite... just I start just chatting shit about it but i'm chatting <laughs> chatting about it um but sorry i've already sworn on your podcast um, okay. <laughs> um but i really loved writing it it was so much fun to write and i sort of got to basically i threw everything i wanted a regency woman to be able to do at the wall um because they're so limited in so many ways but actually being a very wealthy widow was sort of the one spot where you could certainly do what you wanted um so that's what that's what book two is all about yeah it's so much fun it's so much fun um let's talk about the women in your novels so when we first meet eliza it's obviously at the reading of her 
late husbands will and as you say we're not sad no he's really mean um so yeah he's and man. uh he's a bad man mm. he's gone he's gone um but she says in the opening lines, she talks about her many years of playing the obedient daughter mm. and the dutiful wife. Mm. And it's kind of hard to say she's a lucky one because she was sort of forced into yeah. the marriage of convenience with this man mm. when her heart belonged to another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but when you look at some of the other women, like Margaret and other women around her, it felt like a lot of their luck is dependent on the men that are in their lives, yeah. like husbands. And obviously that's, true in many parts of the world still but I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that how it was for these women of this era you know for for who was in their their life that sort of controlled it yeah I mean you're so right actually so it from my research it's sort of what your life was like as a woman and what freedoms you had, what independence you had, was basically, as you say, conditional upon the men you had around you. So for some people, like, um, I read a lot of letters and diaries, all of um, all the lesson diaries of uh, Frances Burney, who's one of my favourite authors. Um, and she had, like, an absolute doting father who was, like, super invested in her education, was quite, like, chill about, like, yeah, if, if you don't want to marry that guy, don't marry that guy, that's all good with me. Um, so she had quite a you know, a grand time and obviously like had enough money that she was, you know, I think money obviously changed things a lot as well, depending on how, uh, yeah, how, how rich you were, how comfortable you were. And that was a massive deal back then. Um, so basically, yeah. So if you're, it sort of all depended on what the men around you were willing to give you. Um, and that could change everything. Um, so Eliza has had thus far, quite a quite a terrible time because she's mm. sort of been pressured into this marriage that, with this much much older guy when she was like 17 which was sadly very common um and sort of um one of those kind of slightly everyday tragedies that happened loads back then where they sort of that was so expected that it was almost impossible to deny um that kind of family duty it would have been seen as sort of a dereliction of duty not to not to do what was best for everybody. Um, so in that sense, yeah. And then her husband was pretty, pretty mean to her. So she's not had a great time at all. Um, and so that's why I was sort of, the whole book is sort of about her tussling with the power she's been given and trying to hold onto it. Because suddenly being, uh, being a widow, you've regained the freedom of an unmarried woman. Uh, where you've regained the sort of independence of an unmarried woman, but the freedoms of a married woman. And, but that is a temporary state that only exists as long as you're not married again. Um, yeah, so it was a really, so it was a tough sort of intersection. I was trying to, I mean, when you're writing Regency rom-coms, there's so much narratively, which is actually quite difficult because you, they, there's actually not that much they can do. So you're looking for the spaces and the intersections and the narrow paths where they were able to, grasp hold of some power and do what they wanted um which sort of these incredibly brave real women that existed and sort of managed to live their lives to the full under very very constricted circumstances um sorry that was a real waffle but no i love it i love it (laughs) (laughs) yeah bless that yeah it's just as i say you think some women are still going through Mm, that yes of course uh, yeah it's just as kind of you read that thing, gosh, makes you sort of think about your own life, doesn't yeah. it? The times we're in, the place we're in, privilege. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> your passion for history mm. is very obvious. And when you talk about this period as well, you can just see how much you love it. Mm. I love historical fiction, but I hadn't really read historical romances or rom-coms. Yeah. And I'm useless with the classics. Like, I run a mile from them, Sophie. <laughs> 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 So 
I wondered how important it was for you to breathe a sort of fresh air into this genre and try and sort of encourage readers like me to try something new and uh, step into them oh I love that well thank you very much um I'm so glad I'm so glad you enjoyed it especially if you're if you're not usually a historical well no you are but you're not a classical historical yeah um well I think that the great thing about uh Regency romance is that each generation of writers brings something from the modern time to bear on it which I think is really gorgeous because you can sort of um especially if you're looking back like you know, Georgia Hare, Barbara Cartland, all they are all writing historical fiction, but they're writing so informed by the context they're in. So you're kind of learning about two times in one, because you can see what's what they're bouncing off of that's happening in their own time and what and what that how that makes them look at the, the past. Um, and I think the brilliant thing about writing it now um, is that there's so much scope to sort of bring in um, maybe challenge some of the gender norms that have gone before a little bit or look at look at sort of your your stock romance characters through slightly different lenses um which is super exciting and i love doing that and maybe you know uh, coming coming to coming to regency romance with the full force of modern feminism is a very fun thing to do um yeah and i've got to say hats off also to the other regency romance writers at the moment like let's croucher brilliant amita murray um felicity george are all doing sort of like similar really exciting things of sort of um yeah coming to it with a bit of a modern lens but still being historically accurate is quite a fun intersection um and it's all the stuff that i kind of yeah want to read myself i'm writing basically all the time for me which is a hugely narcissistic uh, approach um but <laughs> one that seems to work it's working yeah, right thank you. yeah so i just write what i want to on i want to see my regency heroines doing and then yeah print it i'm coming i say <laughs> thank you <laughs> So you started writing, I believe, uh, A Lady's Guide to Fortune Hunting before Bridgerton came out. But the stars obviously aligned for you Mm. and your debut came out at a time when everyone was obsessed with Bridgerton and wanted more. Yeah. And I think we see that period as being sort of, you know, quite decadent Mm. and gossipy scandals and the balls. But I'm wondering, what is it, do you think, about that era that's captured our hearts and imagination so much why do we want so much of it i know it's amazing i mean i'm obviously psyched about the time line because (laughs) the british tv series obviously julia quinn wrote her novels ages before mine but the uh the british tv series came out i think in the first one december was it 2019 or 2020 um i think it's 2020 and then that january i was sending my book out to agents so I just finished it and it came out and everyone was obsessed with the Regency and I was sort of looking around going, okay, this is good. This means, How yeah. <laughs> I, I, Clever me. Yeah, what sort of, but just the luck involved. And that's yeah. so much about publishing. There's so many variables that you can't control. And when, the, when, there's, when you're given a healthy dose of luck, you've got to chase it. But um, so that was brilliant. I mean, I think, um, so not to get really nerdy, but this is actually what I wrote my dissertation on. So here we go. And I will now read my dissertation from start to finish throughout this podcast. (laughs) Um, So I think, so basically, um, obviously the Regency period and that kind of like late Georgian period um, is one that has a really strong iconography and um, presence in British popular culture. I think because of obviously Austin and our love of period dramas, we have quite a strong sense of... um, 
what the Regency looked like and so much of our architecture is Georgian and things like that. I think we have a real, it's a real strong touchstone of history um, and especially like pre-Victorian Puritanism is this like really decadent, wealthy time. Everyone's doing everything and there's this hugely high literacy rate and they're all like, yeah, high sociability, loads of carriages. I mean, it's all fun stuff, right? Can't get enough of it. Um, but I think also, so the big boom in Regency rom-com, sort of the start of the whole genre came with Georgia Heyer in the sort of um, uh, mid 20th century. And she was writing during World War One and World War Two, or sort of interwar period, World War Two, And she was writing specifically to be as escapist as possible. So I think the sort of escapism of the genre is really at its, the DNA it's sort of built from that. Um, and she was sort of doing it as this antidote to the stress of war, really. Because, I mean, you even you can see it so that if you're lucky enough to have a... Um, uncle got me for my birthday, first edition of Georgia Heyer, which is really cool. Um, and oh, wow. But it's like this, like, thin paper and this setting, which, like, like the, it's, like, crowded in because it's paper rationing. So the tiny writing crowded in and these covers, which have basically no colour on them, and you open it up and it's these, like, vivid descriptions of food and dresses and socialising and decadence, which is so obviously this aspiration during a time of rationing and restricted movement and, you know, incredible stress so i think so that in that sense it's almost like it was built to relieve stress which is really cool and what we saw massively suddenly lockdown is within weeks all of the top books on like the kindle charts were regency romance again with no marketing spend with no publicity they were just naturally up at the chop which was really amazing that you sort of see this sort of this genre swing back into action at a time when we were all incredibly stressed um and yeah so i think that's possibly why it's come back now is actually sort of need it a bit more now and it's just incredible it's just like the it's like stress relief on steroids it's it's really efficient <laughs> not to get too meta about my my genre um but yeah that's why i think um but if anyone does want to read my dissertation i can circulate it <laughs> oh there you go that's so interesting but your books i i, I mean i said to so many people i was like oh i just feel so happy oh good when i'm like reading them yeah because you're just forgetting everything around and it's almost that sort of where you put the book down and you're like Oh, here it <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you. I'm so oh, pleased. Oh, they're amazing. Let's talk a little bit more about your characters. Yes. So in both your books, because there are some real characters in yeah. there. Some that you can't help but love. And then maybe the sort of slightly less likable ones. Yes, the evil ones. Um, we, we, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but those are the ones that are really fun to read as well. Yeah. There's like really sort of witty dialogues between them. Are you more drawn to writing the sort of more roguish characters or do you like the well-behaved ones better? Oh, for sure, the roguish. I mean, just even their dialogue's <laughs> more fun, isn't it? They're just like, it's great having characters that are breaking the rules because um, it just makes it more fun to write. You can just do what you want and you can take things organ much more organically. Um, whereas, you know, actually, it's almost even a challenge for writing Eliza was that she starts off the book quite downtrodden and quite willing to obey the rules. And actually, to have a main character that's going to do everything correctly, um, it's a bit of a nightmare. So uh, quite quickly, I had to be like, come on, Eliza, let's go. Let's get you out of your comfort zone because um, it's so much more fun to write 
people who are like bending and flouting convention and all that stuff which is why i mean side characters in general are so much more fun um because they can just have they can have the one-liners and they can do the the witty dialogue and i'm sorry you can hear me clicking my fingers i'm getting very enthusiastic as you're saying that yeah exactly i was thinking about her neighbors in bath oh well. yes i just i love the words. <laughs> terrible people <laughs> terrible but so much fun to yeah, read yeah thank you i'm glad they yeah they were they were very um every time i was like oh how can i just really make everyone cross in a scene let's bring the wink words in roll them out <laughs> so funny so as just talked about i love historical fiction particularly women's stories um, in history because I think you do sort of look at you know their situation their life and their choices and sort of reflect on your own mm. and where you are if we look at Eliza if I could ask you just to be Eliza again mm-hmm. for a few minutes mm. what do you think Eliza would want women today to take away from her story and her life and learn from it oh I love that um <laughs> I think it would be about being brave um, I think because, I mean, one of the plot points, which is not a spoiler, is that Eliza wants to be an artist. And there's so much stacked against her. And there's so much stacked against women artists at this period. Um, and she sort of perseveres anyway and fights and pushes and pushes and pushes. Um, and if you think about how much easier, in that sense, we have things, especially while people like me and you um, in, in the privileged position we live in, um, we can technically do so much more. Um, so if you've got, you know, if you've got a long lost dream to be an artist, you should crack on and do it. I think that would be the takeaway um, because there's so many, there's probably still people going to say no, but there's so many less than there were. Um, so I think that would be her, her movement. I think she'd be very shocked by all the, I mean, she'd be very shocked by how much we have our ankles out, really. That would be very <laughs> distressing. <laughs> all these sexy ankles. <laughs> oh, bless her. It's interesting you say that because actually when you think about it, about sort of, you know, your dreams and being mm. brave, I guess we do have so much more opportunity, but it's ourselves now that hold us back. Yeah, more. yeah. That's what, yeah. Oh, hugely. I mean, then and now we sort of, I think mm. we're, it's almost like, I mean, I had this even, so I didn't write creatively between the ages of like 16 and, you know, well, however old I was when I did this thing about 27, because I found it embarrassing. I thought there was something mortifying about trying hard at something and especially not being good and trying to get better. That felt so embarrassing. Um, and I think I'm, that makes me quite sad thinking back on that, where you think, why, why on earth would that? It's sort of to be caught trying. It feels like quite a mortifying thing now. don't know. I think that's probably quite a girl thing, yeah. isn't it? I've gone to thinking of girls in school and not sort of wanted to be seen as like the goody-goody mm. or the know-it-all. I wonder if it sort of sits in there. Yeah. Um, like being earnest is cringe or something like that. Um, yeah. But, you know, I'm a big fan of cringe. So. <laughs> My life has so many cringe moments. Yeah, but... you've, got to, you've got to embrace it. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I totally do. I totally do. Oh, well, A Lady's Guide to Scandal is out now in hardback and it's absolutely wonderful. And if you haven't read A Lady's Guide to Fortune Hunting, yeah. you've missed out. So go and get that one too. Yeah, and that's in payback. Woohoo! And payback already. Yeah, profit. payback. Yeah, 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 which is exciting. Okay. So before we go on to talk about your Desert Island book yeah. and how life put you through, <laughs> I just want to say to anyone listening, don't worry about trying to scribble the books down that we talk about. I'll put them all in the show notes um, so you don't have to worry about that. You can just sit back and relax yay yeah. okay 
So you had a bit of a nightmare, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I trying had a to... full mental breakdown trying to choose these. <laughs> <laughs> did you hate me? I did a bit. I thought, I, I, yeah, I know. And then I was thinking how I, could, how I could game the system, you know. So I think I probably will mention more than five, you know. That's yeah. okay. In the last uh, podcast I recorded, we were talking about this, and it's like how it's very different because your favourites come to you straight away. Yeah, and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but when you sit down and sort of think, where was I in my life when I read those? Yeah, it's not your favourite books. It sort of makes it yeah these quite sort of pivotal hard. moments, but which is quite fun. It's quite an interesting prompt, which I like. I mean, obviously you know because you're doing a whole podcast series around it, but. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it's a really good thing to, and I actually started so many conversations when, um, so I was with, I was being on book tour this week um, with, um, and Taffy was with me, who's um, the uh, publicist, one of the publicists for the book. Um, mm. And we just, we were, I was trying to, well, I was just trying to get some help. And we were, talk, we were talking about hers and it was a great conversation starter for the whole week. So that's kind of great. When I did mine back on Instagram and I first sort of had, I think it was in lockdown. Oh my, the amount of time I spent overthinking it. Yeah, and you're like, I, I, you know it's like, this is supposed to be fun, but I was there like, this must be right. <laughs> well, I haven't read any of your choices. Oh, good. Oh my God, you're going to have so much fun. <laughs> Call myself a bookstagrammer. I know, I know. <laughs> so do you want to start off by telling us about your first yes, choice then? Yes, it's Sophie Snail by Dick King Smith, um, which is... Um, and I, do you know what? I didn't even double check that was the correct title, so I hope it is. Um, that's the first... It's a series, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's a, a gripping <laughs> series. <laughs> that's the first book I... And I remember really vividly, it's the first book I read start to finish on my own in my head. Um, and I was on a train, and I can't remember which, whether I'm going to see my granny who lives in Devon, or I think probably going to see my grandma, who... I'm from Dorset, and she... And my mum, mum's family's all from North Yorkshire. So it was this like long journey. And I think my parents came prepared and with books. And I sat down and I read Sophie Snail. Um, and I was like, read it. And then by the time I looked up, we were there. And it was the first sort of real like immersion. I think before then, probably, you know, my parents uh, definitely read to us as kids and I think, you know, I was sort of listening in to Harry Potter, but a bit too young because um, my brother's a bit older. Um, but this was the first book where I was like absolute submersion um, and what well, started basically the start of a whole passion for reading that I don't, hasn't quite, yeah, hasn't quite stopped yet. Um, and it's about an iconic uh, Wellington wearing girly called Sophie. <laughs> it's just still to this day, if a book has a, t- uh, you know, a titular character called Sophie. I am. I'm so much more likely to read it. I. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's such basic empathy, but I'm like, oh, I think she might be like me. <laughs> I'm the opposite. I always think of it as a character name that I know somebody of. I'm like, oh, please don't let them be the bad guy. Oh or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. Maybe I'm more conscious of it. But no, I loved it, and it's all about. And she's she's Sophie, and she's just like plodding around. Um, and she loves animals. And the first book is about her having a pet snail, the, the titular snail. Um, and then the second book, I think it's Sophie's Tom, is about her and a cat. Um, oh. And I can't remember what the others are called, but they are brilliant. Um, and um, yeah, basically fueled my obsession for pets. I really wanted a pet dog. 
um, which wasn't good. Did you get a pet dog? Not until a little later, yeah. But um, oh, did you get a pet snail? I tried, but they escape. Really, they do escape. <laughs> they do not. They do not want to be. Which is actually a big theme of the novel, I would say. Oh, is it? Yeah. So you didn't learn from no, that? No, I didn't. I didn't. I persevered, and I was like, I too will have a pet snail. Um, <sighs> yes, they're brilliant books. Fantastic starter. I think Dickie Smith. Um, oh, what an author! Is the only man I will be talking about. Ah, oh, five books. Do you know, as you just said that, I don't know what the first book is that I read on my own. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Like, that's really interesting. I'm going to mm. go back and think about it. I can think of books I read on my own when I was young, but I can't remember the first one. Oh, I wish I knew now. Yeah, we have to, you have to go and look at your yeah, your old bookshelves. If, if yeah, they're still, see. yeah, 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 see. See. My daughter was all like the, um, oh, I forgot, the, the, um, the fairy, like the whole, rainbow, rainbow fairies, whatever. She read the whole of those. And the first one she finished, she came to like, <gasps> I've read a chapter book. <laughs> I know. Oh, God, I so understand that feeling. And it's like you feel so grown up. I know. You moved on from the picture. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what was your second choice? Then, so Sophie? second choice, and I think of all of my choices, this is the probably the most pivotal one, the most life-changing, though I didn't know at the time, um, which is that when after my granddad died, my granny was clearing out the house a bit and she gave me a big stack of Georgia Hayer novels. And so the first one I read was called Arabella um, and sort of a started a love affair with Regency romance that has, you know, ultimately changed my life. Um, so, and Georgia Hayer, I mean, for anyone who's not read, she's like tragically underknown. So she's sort of like Jane Austen's granddaughter in spirit. She's sort of Austen meets Woodhouse, I would say, um, and sort of was the um, sort of originator of what we understand as the Regency rom-com she started so much of the apparatus and the tropes all came from her um and you know British exists now because Georgia Hayer started it um and she's just so witty and clever just like unparalleled historical accuracy research things like mad um it was just very funny she was really funny and wrote these incredible books she wrote, wrote prolifically she wrote so many books um and I read them all gobbled them up that's all I was reading at this time um and yeah absolutely love them still love them they're my like favorite thing to read all, all still now um and yeah so I would recommend if you haven't read Georgia Hair start with Arabella it's brilliant it's all about well it's all very so this young young lady goes off to London to find a husband you know a theme finds <laughs> itself in my novels too would you believe it um and she accidentally because she gets really cross when she's encounters the and i actually can't pronounce his name so i'm going to butcher this but i think it's Bo maris mr Bo maris she encounters on the way to london and he's like he's a he's really like he's a bit like dismissive and he's like oh god everybody wants to marry me Ugh, who's this lady and she's like well i'm actually really rich so i don't really want to marry you and she's not rich. She's really poor. She's there to find a rich husband. And then for the next, whatever, months in, in London, everyone thinks that she's this heiress. And she's like, what have I done? Um, and it's so funny and it's so brilliant. And yeah, so I would really recommend it. It's a great starting point for anyone who hasn't read any George at home. She's brilliant. Fortune, fortune favors the brave. Exactly. Her, yeah. What's well, brave slash stupid? Which I think is the <laughs> such a sweet spot. They probably maybe it's the same thing. <laughs> they probably run close to each other. Yeah. Don't true. They? True. 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 <laughs> I guess she kind of reminds me of Kitty there. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Kitty's. Yeah. I think Arabella's a better person than Kitty. Kitty's a bit more mercenary. <laughs> She's a bit more out there to. Arabella's there it. to fall in love, and Kitty's there very much not to. <laughs> oh. 
um, when I did this uh, this series on Instagram yeah. and it, I interviewed Beth Morley. Yeah. And um, she picked Frederica. Oh, did she? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So I was going through my list. I was like, oh, I don't think she's been picked before. And I was like, oh, she has. Yeah, Frederica is another favourite of mine. It's brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant book. <laughs> so there you go. For somebody like me then who sort of struck, do you think they sort of hold up well? Do you think they're still quite accessible or really accessible? Should I stick with you. Yeah. <laughs> really accessible. Hold up very well. Um they do have like she's writing, she starts she starts writing the nineteen twenties. She does have like um there's some problematic moments for sure. Um and you know, the Grand Sophie, which would otherwise be one of my favourites because it's about a Sophie and therefore hits the uh, initial requirement for me. Um, it has a really horrible anti-Semitic scene in it, which I would, yeah, so a bit of a content warning about that, which um, I can't decide whether it would be better to take it out completely because it's really out of the blue and unnecessary or whether that would be glossing over the fact that, yeah, she did have some problematic views as well. Um, they should keep it in but do a content note or whatever. You know, it's one of those one of those debates. Kind of interesting that isn't it? we've had that recently with like the Roald Dahl books yeah. and things. It's like I guess if we remove all of those sort of thoughts and ideas, do we learn from them? Like, yeah, and does it know, sort of like does it give them too much credit? Like or pretend that they weren't? I don't know. Like uh, sometimes it's like I don't know whether you. I don't. I'm wary of being like they were amazing, and we're not going to. We're not going to remember all that they did some bad stuff as well. Um, yeah. I don't know, but. I know better, better, cleverer people than I decide that. So, and me, yeah. <laughs> let's pass that yeah. one on. <laughs> okay, I am so interested in your next choice. I've actually got it sitting in my basket. Do you? Like, I'm not going to buy. Yeah, I'm not going to buy every book because when I did, again when I did this on Instagram, I ended up with a TBR out of I control. Know. That sounds brilliant. So, but this one I made it to my basket. Let's see if you can make me press buy. Okay, <laughs> so number three, which so it might be a slightly different order to. Oh, okay. okay sorry. Well, yes, I'm going to do it in slightly different order than what I said. Um, number three <laughs> is I'm going to go Time Traveler's Wife by um, Audrey Niffenegger. I'm going to make sure. I, yeah. I think that's how you pronounce her name. Um, which is. I think the book I've most reread in my life. Mm. Um, I read this probably when I was a bit too young. It's one that I think it was my first grown-up book where I was like, "Whoo, there's okay. sex in this. <laughs> this is pretty crazy." <laughs> like fourteen, a, a real desperate loser. <laughs> I thought this was a pretty sexy book. Um, it's an oh god, I don't know. I love this book. It's so so brilliant. It's such an incredible concept. Um, I think most people will probably be familiar with the film, if not the book, where basically, so he has this, and it's it's billed, it's like, it's almost fantasy, but it's not. It's billed as if it's a um, a health issue he has, where he is, you know, has this chromosome, chrom, chrom, how do you say that? This uh, chrom, chromosome. Chromosome. Oh. Chromosome. <laughs> Chromosomal issue he has an issue <laughs> an issue with his dna where he like moves back and forward in time and it's a it's sort of a it's a love story between him and henry and claire and, he, and it's sort of about her as much as him and what it's like to live with someone and love someone who's like going back and forward in time and it's done in this amazing way where like each each section starts with like Henry is 36, Claire is 28 and it will change because they will constantly encounter each other at different ages. Mm. Anyway, I don't know why I find it so beautifully written. She's an amazing writer. She's um, Her other books are not as well as well known, but are fantastic and just like searing and beautiful. Um, and it's the book I always go to when I'm in a reading rut. 
so I did English literature at university and then I went to become an editor in publishing and the combination of those two things um you've got to be careful it doesn't ruin reading for you because you have to read for work at such a just such an intensity um, and read brilliant books but you've always got something you have to read like professionally so it's quite hard to read for pleasure or just for pleasure um and if I'm in like a spot where I think oh I'm a bit out of the reading groove and that's um, hard I'll go back to try and travel as well and that will kill me um so yeah so I yeah I, read, I cannot believe more people have not read it it's, it's such a superb book I know I know it's very shameful. I started it's it. very shameful. It is shame. Do you know what's <laughs> even more shameful yeah. about this? I've got it here. It's brilliant. So June 2021, Kate Sawyer, who wrote The Stranding and yes. This Family. Yes, oh my God, an amazing writer. Yeah, she did Desert Island Books with me and she talked about it and I was like, do you know what? I'm going to pull it off my shelf and I'm going to read it next month. 2021 oh, that's bad it's two years it's bad mm. I, know. I know but i do <laughs> think there's something like right book wrong time yeah. so i don't yeah i don't what i try to do is if i start a book and i don't like it i put it down and i'll try it again a few months yeah. later yeah let see if i'm in the right mood for it so i'm hoping when i eventually do pick this it's gonna be really right book at right the, time at the right time no, i think you're the... so right i was chatting to someone at, um in uh hannah in one of the waterstones that i met sorry hannah if you are i'm not sure you will listen but this is stolen from you <laughs> but she was talking about mood reading that she mm. yeah is so dependent what she what genre she like is so dependent on her mood and i thought that was quite an interesting way of putting it so don't, don't beat yourself yeah. up too much if it's not if it's not fitting Right. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. When I look back at some of my books that I've uh, done this, like, right book, wrong time, like, um, Memoirs of a Geisha. Oh. The first time I picked that up, I was like, oh, no, not for me. Second time I picked it up, couldn't put it down, loved it. And I was like, it's so interesting. Is that if I'd sort of said, that's not for me, and sort of done that, not going to finish it, yeah. I would have lost out on a, on a whole thing. potential favourite. I know, yeah. I know. It's like these misconnections, sliding doors, yeah. but I mean, books. In a sliding pages yeah there we go that's the yeah that's the better film <laughs> what did you think of the movie did you watch the movie and how did you sort of feel about book adaptations to i did watch the film and i didn't like it it's always a risk though when it's like a very beloved book i think that i don't know i think the i do wonder whether it's harder to it's such an internally beautiful and the internal sort of machinations of everything are so important to it. And also whether it's hard, obviously you have actors who are playing younger and older versions of themselves and that's easier to do in your imagination than it is in real, in like film. Um, I wonder if it had been different now, like whether they could do de-aging and make it more sort of clearer what age everyone is. I can't remember. With your different effects. Yeah, I don't know. I just didn't, it wasn't, I don't know. It was the first time I read it, especially... Well, especially, actually, when I come to books now, I don't know if you find it, but I feel like my base level is usually, if I'm reading a book, I've heard about it on a podcast, I've seen it everywhere in Waterstones, 20 people have recommended it to me, and I come with a lot of preconceptions. Whereas when I read Time Traveler's Wife, and in that age of reading, I felt like I case stumbled across things without knowing the concept, and then you have to work it out a bit more. So it took me like four chapters to be like, what the hell's going on here? Whereas now, obviously, I would have known. And I, and I've, and myself, I've just spoiled the concept for everybody. So I'm part <laughs> of the problem, but I just don't know. So I think that was quite the... I, I've had such a profound first reaction to it because I was trying to work it out. And when I got it, I was like, oh my God, 
this is amazing. How does this possibly work? Whereas the film, I don't know whether I already knew, so it's a bit less shocking. Yeah. I think you're right, because I, what I try to do now with some books, particularly um, if they're really hyped mm. books and talked about, I try not to read too many reviews. Yeah. But quite often if I'm sent a book, I will just pick it up and like, I'm not going to read anything about it. I'll just pick it up and see. Yeah. So it's my opinion, my sort of journey for it. But it is hard as like people are talking about them more, which is great. Which is lovely. Guess, yeah, exactly. And like, it's so fun trying to book, chatting to book people about books. It's such a joy. But um, I think it does change the experience sometimes. Yeah. And also, I guess, like with uh, the sort of content warnings and things, which obviously are really necessary for some people, but I try to avoid them because quite often they are the twist in a book, know, aren't they? As well. It's like, ah, I know what's going to happen now. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, I don't know what the um, solution is there because I, I agree they're brilliant things in so many ways, but also, um, spoil it sometimes. Yeah. Or spoil, yeah. It, spoil a twist sometimes. Yeah. Oh, we're just never happy, are we? Oh, I know, I know, I know, exactly. Always reaching. <laughs> but you're going to leave me on a surprise now because I've no idea where you're taking me next, which book. So the fourth book, I think, is the one you're talking about. So it's Midnight Chicken yes. by yeah. um, Ella Risbridger, um, which, God, okay, so I'm not really a non-fiction person. I don't like to learn. So <laughs> <laughs> this is the, the only non-fiction book, I think, on the list and probably, yeah the start of a whole love of this sort of genre of food memoir. So I read this book um, and this is, I mean, you always remember when you first, the moments you like, what, what was happening in your life when you read books, right? So I read this book when I was going through a really sad time and it was January 21 and it was that long lockdown that caught us all by surprise mm. and the weather was bleak and I was working crazy hours and I was so so tired and I just sent my book out and it was just getting rejected from everywhere and I was just very sad (laughs) and I was just really you know I think that especially we forget I don't know about lockdowns but that was I think for lots of people we were just so tired of trying to like maintain our like mental health Mm. it was like really yeah hard time anyway it was the last weekend in January and I was just like I am giving up I'm not working this weekend. I'm not writing this weekend. I'm just going to read a book just for me. And I must have been given Midnight Chicken like ages before. It was sitting there and I just picked it up. And I think I'd never read it before because it was like, it's sort of a recipe book slash memoir, which to begin with, I was like, what? What is this? I don't understand. And honestly, <laughs> it was, and it's like stories from her life mixed with recipes and the recipes that helped her at tough times. And it, I've never had never read anything like it before. And it was so incredibly profound and sort of somehow soothing to my very soul, which I can't quite work out why because it's quite, it's dark as well. Like it doesn't gloss over like the darkest moments of her life. Um, but it's something about the the light that very pedestrian small pleasures can bring, which in this case is food. And it sort of really uh, took me out of a really um, sad spell. And I made a, made some bread, which was a disaster, but I made everyone eat it. <laughs> and that made me feel better as well. And it opened me up to this whole food memoir genre, which I love. So I love like cry, Crying in H Mart, um, Takeaway, Dinner with Edward. I really want to read um, the book. Oh my goodness, what's the title? Which is um, I Want to Die, But I Want to Eat Tabaki. Oh, which is supposed to be incredible. I really want to read that. And it's sort of these like really interesting mixtures of like quite, they're often really sad books about sad times in people's lives sort of struck through with like a the brilliant light of food 
which um yeah all started with reading that Ella's book and she I find her writing just I mean she's gone on to write other stuff and I me and my mate best mate Lucy both subscribe to her newsletter she sends these like newsletters where it's like it feels like your best mate speaking beautifully articulate words and you're right in your ear um she's like really chatty and gorgeous and sort of pedestrian profound and bleak and serene and just like stunning writer um so i cannot recommend her books enough and her writing enough go listen yeah subscribe to the um substack because it's like recipes as well it's great um and yeah and i always remember that book because it was like a real dark moment and then gave me some energy to turn things around a bit so next week after i decided i was gonna go freelance be freelance editor for a bit and then week after that my agent got in touch so it was quite a yeah associated with a bit of a gear change in my life i suppose so definitely buy that book. That's the one. I will yeah. do. Mm. I will do. That's really interesting, isn't it? As it's the right book finding you at the right yeah. time, which is one of the wonderful things about being a reader. I think yeah, when you look back at particularly that January lockdown mm. was really hard and it does show you the importance of books. And it's funny how sometimes reading something that isn't sort of lighthearted, yeah. and, you know, it's a little bit darker. Actually, I guess it's because you don't feel so alone. You know, yeah. somebody else is. I mean, we all felt really lonely and fed up in those um, lockdowns because it just went on for so long. It did, so. yeah. And you're so right, actually, because also my go-to is usually a rom-com if I'm feeling sad. Mm. But as you say, it's something about this. It was like someone holding your hand and like quite like a gorgeous way of like something sadder than what I... F- not sadder, because that's... So, sorry, that's so that's so flippant <laughs> about what was an incredibly beautiful piece of work. But like there was something very cathartic about reading about someone else's much tougher time. Yeah. Yeah. So I love nonfiction. I love memoirs as well. I think it's that. I think it's so important to sort of sit and read things. But I guess with the food, yeah. I mean, food is so comforting. So comforting. Isn't it? Yeah. And it has that same thing of sort of transporting that. Um, you know, you have so many memories linked to your foods of what you ate when you yeah. were a child or an amazing holiday. So. Yeah, and also like something that always comes up. I think comes up in basically every single one at some point, which I think Nora Ephron also talks about. Um, in I think Heartburn where it's talking about like when absolute chaos is reigning in your life making yourself a meal is like something you can control and sort of brings you into something small when things feel out of control and really scary and big Um, and I think there's something in that as well it's quite primal yeah yeah, well, also, it's the gathering, isn't it? I guess it's yeah. traditional. You sit down with your family or your friends and share a meal yeah. and break bread. Yes, exactly. Yeah, the only problem right. is when you're me and you're sort of like a spectacularly bad chef, you're like, oh, it's not quite <laughs> as good as I had imagined. You could have let us believe yeah. there that you were like... <laughs> no, I've got a lot of, you know, a lot of imagination, but very little follow-through, so I sort of end up, yeah... So it doesn't end up looking quite like it's supposed to. <laughs> See, I don't mind if it doesn't look like it's supposed to, as long as it tastes good. Okay. I don't mind if it's that. Well, I mean, something that looks really gross. Yeah. But... Something like that is rank. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favourite recipe from her book in there, or something you've made a couple of times? No, you know what? I don't think. I think there's there's a recipe I really want to make for bagels. Actually, no, you know what? I have made the bagel one. She talked about bagels. Um, Really have cool. you made bagels? I've made bagels once, yeah. That was actually, you know what? I'll, I'm going to give myself a little pat on the back. That was actually a really good one. The bread was, that was good. <laughs> well, I'm really impressed. Thank I wouldn't you. have a clue how to start. Well, you read this book well, and you will understand. I think it's well, bagels. She does. Um, 
apologies if I've got that wrong and I've pulled that from a different book. She's going to be listening yeah. going, bagels. I, like, <laughs> I never wrote about bagels. <laughs> Sorry. No. Oh, I am definitely going to buy that one because it sounds oh, like so good. I really enjoy it. Yeah, too. I think she's so, just a spectacular writer. Yeah. Perfect. So your final choice. My final Sophie. choice. Okay, so I was going into this and I was thinking, I've got to pick a rom-com, like a modern rom-com. Um, and that's quite a difficult choice, right? Because I have so many writers I absolutely love. Um, so I'm going to do a quick, you know, name check of a few, which is, you know... Um, oh, there's there's just so many, and I think they're brilliant, and they're just like... I think we're into in a real age of rom-coms, which is brilliant and spectacular, and they're sort of just delivering what we want so hugely. Um, Lindsay Kelk, always a go-to. Um, she's fantastic. She just had a new one come out called Love Me, Do... And she's, oh, it's amazing. And it's got loads of Taylor Swift references, which I love, Um, which I know she says that are for me, but, you know, maybe she says that to all of the girls. (laughs) 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 Um, Well, I believe they are. All of her books are written specifically for me. They are fantastic and so good. And, yeah, she's brilliant. Vyra McFarlane writes fantastic rom-coms. Oh, she's brilliant. Um, I love one of my favourite all-times is um, Red, White and Royal Blue, the one about... I haven't read oh, it's so good. The one about um, the president's son falling in love with... It's right there. With, with, like a, with a royal <laughs> prince. And it's amazing. Um, but I think the one I'm going to choose is The Breakup Course by Neve Harkin. Um, because um, it's, first of all, because it's brilliant. It's the second one. Her first one was 12 Days of May. And she's sort of unparalleled dialogue. She's absolutely exceptional in dialogue. Um, and their breakup course is about... Um, it's about two lawyers and they meet and they hate each other um, and they have to work together and it's very like, you know, hating game vibes. But what everybody doesn't know is that 10 years ago they met when they were like uni students and got married in Vegas and they agreed at the time they were going to, for, for plot reasons, they have to wait to get divorced, but he never like turns up to to do it so then they're like working together and they hate each other and they're trying to get divorced and blah 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 and shenanigans happen and it's brilliant um and it's my last choice because neve is now a really good friend of mine who and which is lovely and we never probably would have met if i hadn't written a book and become an author um i would have sent her you know very detailed uh, letters of adoration sure but uh we don't think we would have become friends and that's it's been what my favorite thing about being um writing now is all the cool um people i've met because of it um and yeah especially it's quite it's so nice to have other writing buddies as well because you can chat like well, you can chat really honestly about the, the bad stuff as well as the good and the moments where you're like, this is terrible. Um, and having someone who's like, yeah, I know, me too. Um, <laughs> it's really nice. So yeah, that's going to be my ending one. And that's another, oh God, that's such a good rom-com. Everyone's got to snap it up before. Uh, I'm going to have to buying that one, aren't yeah. I? Um, that's so lovely. I mean, books bring us together. They do. They? I, think, I always say it's from readers, like in book clubs or reading together or sharing the book you know brings writers together too yeah which is really nice i thought it was really interesting when you were just saying that about how you're talking sort of supporting um, each other in this sort of rom-com world because i mean i think there's a thing with like people when they're a little bit funny with rom-coms sometimes and like yeah snobby i i yeah Yeah. and i love uh i i I hate it when they're sort of like called guilty pleasures or Mm. palate cleansers because I actively seek them out sometimes because yeah. that's what I want to read. I want to read a really good rom-com. And I, I, 
I'm not a writer at all. But I suspect that as hard, if not harder, to sort of yeah have that sort of plot line yeah. to follow. So well, especially yeah, because I think people have a real snobbery about them because they are so trope fueled and have these sort mm. of like um, these like familiar beats to them. Which, as if that's not the point. It's so funny when people say that. You're like, yeah, it's been done on purpose. Um, and if you think about like what these amazing, you know, rom-com writers, Sarah Manning is another one who's like spectacularly good at what she does. And all these amazing writers that I mean, some that I've mentioned, loads that I haven't, um, are using tropes, very familiar tropes, sure, um, which are brilliant, fantastic tropes that we all love, and it tells you something, you know as a reader you feel so safe because you're like I know I like that trope so I'm going to go for it and then within this framework these writers take you on this massive journey where they defy your expectations they lean away from what you think they give you things you didn't expect all within this um sort of technically familiar framework which is like when you think Mm. about the skill that takes to like do that within what to sort of defy expectations within a genre that's supposed to be doing the expected i think is an incredible thing and i think you know giving you know to we're, we're all really stressed it's a pretty uh, uh tough time out there um and i think mm. giving people two hours of like real big joy is like what a noble thing so yeah wow. i can't just I can't bear people being snobby about it um no no yeah well i'm very glad that you do what you do and all of those other oh, writers yeah. thank you so sophie i've got a hard question for you sure because you thought choosing the five was hard, right? Yeah, I did worry this was coming. <laughs> you did not inform me of this. I, well, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you could only read one of those books again, which one would it be? I think I... Oh. So the two in the final, I would say for me, are Arabella and Time Traveller's Wife because I have read them both so many times that... Um, I know I could carry on and do it forever. So I'm actually, no, I'm going to go completely round. I would go back to Sophie's Snail. You know what? I think it's a banger <laughs> for our times. It's a classic. And I think probably it has some real good um, lessons to be learned in there about animal welfare. So I'm going to go for Sophie's Snail. <laughs> Snow- Sophie's Snail, not Snowfie's Snail. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I'm going for. Well, I wouldn't make you choose. No, I would no, never. No. I would never ever do that. So. <laughs> Sophie, it has been so lovely to. Ch- I could sit here and chat to you about this oh, all day. Oh, thank you so much so for having you. me. This was so much fun, and I'm sorry I've waffled on. Please do cut at will anything. <laughs> no, it's been great. Oh, thank you so much. I've had such a good time. <laughs> me too. So both of Sophie's books, A Lady's Guide to Fortune Hunting and A Lady's Guide to Scandal are out now. And I love them both and would highly recommend them. They're so joyful and you're in for such a treat. So do pick them up. All of the books that we've talked about today, including Sophie's, are linked in the show notes where you'll find links to buy them as well. I really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I have. And if you did enjoy it, please rate, review, subscribe, and most importantly, tell your friends about it. Finally, if you would like to hear more from Sophie, please keep an eye out as she has very kindly agreed to do a bonus episode with me, which will be coming soon. Thank you for listening and take care.